And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, covering the week of media, marketing, and digital content news. This old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose. And welcome to episode number 306 of This Old Marketing, recorded on Thursday, January 13th, 2022. And with me, as always, my friend, my colleague, and, well, a guy who's never been called a moron by Dr. Fauci, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? Happy New Year. Um, Happy New Year. I know, well, I guess people who listened to our show last week, maybe they think that we recorded that in 2022 but we did not we're we, sneaky that way we were sneaky yeah, yeah. we actually i, I like this because we recorded basically three episodes in one day i was exhausted by the way after that it was incredibly exhausting i mean talking to you for an hour oh, is exhausting my God, for three I know. hours I was it was like, actually you know three, it was ready to i was ready to give it up three hours yeah. with mr rose it's like you know a bad red wine for no i'm just kidding <laughs> i'm just kidding it's, it's more like a bad, a bad red wine yeah <laughs> yeah both of them will give you a headache uh if you if you if you let it no yeah. explain so as you know i i don't pay attention to the news much anymore at least the general news so what what's with the moron comment Oh, I don't know if you've seen the general news, but it, uh, yesterday or the day before, Dr. Fauci was yet again up on Capitol Hill doing his thing, uh, and um, he and Rand Paul got into it, and then he and another senator, and I'm not, I'm not remembering the name off the top of my head and don't have it in front of me, but basically the senator was like, hey, you're, will you... Uh, you know, will you promise to disclose all of your financial investments, uh, you know, basically to this uh, to this body? And Fauci's look, looking at him like, what are you talking about? He's like, I, I disclose my I've disclosed my financial disclosures for 35 years. I do it every single year. What are you talking about? And the senator goes on and is like, well, if you won't do it, you know, uh, basically we, we can go find it. But, you know, you can tell us where to find it. And he's like. I don't know what you're talking about. I, all you have to do is ask for it because I disclose it every year as part of my employment. And the senator's like, oh, I guess you really don't want it. You know, it's like he's Are just you not. kidding me? No, it's this great exchange. And then Fauci finally goes, you know, off, on a hot mic, which, you know, has basically because the, the chairwoman comes in and says, hey, we're going to move on to another senator now for questioning. <laughs> and you can hear Fauci in the background on the hot mic go, what a moron. <laughs> It was just great. It was just really, really good. Well, obviously looking for a yeah. soundbite. Uh, yeah. Oh, he has, He has. you know, Fauci has no more Fs to give. I mean, it's 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 pretty good it's, it, that you know, he's just like, he's just done. He's just done, you know, with this whole thing. I think everyone is done. Like, you, yeah. you can feel, I mean, I'm not going to speak for the rest of the world, but every, everyone in the United States that I talk to, they're just... On the it's exhaustion. Just, oh, it's everything. Yeah. I'm done with it. I'm done. I can't take it anymore. I want to go. I want to have a new sense of purpose and living. And I I don't want to live under this cloud that we've been living under. And I I would imagine Fauci <laughs> feels that more than anyone in the world. Oh my gosh! I mean, can you? I mean, you know, I mean, and part of it is that he's getting, you know, he's gets threats and stuff like that. And they caught some guy traveling across the country with an AR-15 who was going to, you know, quote unquote, take him out. And it's like, you know, that stuff's got to get to you after a while. You know, you're just like the reason that those people are so angry with me is because these people, you know, that he's answering to up on Capitol Hill keep saying, you know, that he's, you know, a maniac. And it's like, ugh. You know, and 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 that has nothing to do with you know whatever side of that particular equation you fall on. You know, calling for some guy to get you know fired or go you know go do him in or you know whatever it is is just like that's a whole other that's a whole other level of like just tension and stupidity. It, well, it's it's interesting. On our Discord group, there was some conversation about the Creator Economy Expo in May, and we're that's. 100% vaccinated event. Yeah. We made that decision to run a, the safest possible event, all that stuff, right? And yeah. I just had two people started to get into a conversation about it, and it got nasty quick. 
like two adults that they've been on our Discord channel for a long, and then all of a sudden, name calling starts. And I'm just like, jeez. Oh, it's like fine. If you don't, if you do, whatever. If you don't, don't come. If you do, right. whatever, it's fine. I, I, I'm not gonna pick apart anybody's beliefs or why they do whatever they do, but you, they people resort really quickly to hateful messaging <laughs> and make it personal. Yeah, right off the that's bat. That's the yeah. That's the that's the thing. We and it's a it's it's honestly it you know I mean and there's been a, there's been a few. Uh, I was over the holidays. I was actually seeing more of this, which is you know the the lost art of actually having a discussion. You know, I mean it. I mean it used to be back in the day we could actually have a discussion like this and have it even get heated, but you would be talking about the issues, not these ad you know hominem attacks that you know that that you know that 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 seem to be so prevalent today you just can't you know you can't have these kinds of discussions without it getting personal really you know about you know who's i don't know i get off on a rant here but you know it's 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 hard to have those discussions these days it really is that's i don't know if you if you heard of that group called story core have you heard of this before? Yes, I have. So you've I heard of StoryCorps. Yes. Well, the, yes. the the guy that ran StoryCorps, he was on uh, 60 Minutes last week. He created a new organization. I think it's called One Step More or One More Step or something like that. And what they do yeah. is they get two people from um, different ide- political ideologies. Oh, I heard and about And they get this. them into a room with each other. It's facilitated. And you get them into a yeah. room with each other. And they talk about anything other than politics. Talk about you know their families, and they t- and basically they be, they come out of it friends, even though right. they're way they you know one's super liberals, one's super conservative, and what the guy talks about is is that you can't hate somebody who you connect with on another level outside of politics. That's you, right. It's impossible to hate them, and you can't then you don't get personal with politics then. And I just loved it. They they showed some of the examples, and I'm like, well, if we could do that with the entire world. And that's what the guy wants to do, but I love the the mission behind it. It's like we got. He basically said, "I don't know if this is what's what's going to solve all the the hate and the negative jargon in our country, but we got to do something." So right. this is what I'm doing. <laughs> so I'm yeah, like, okay, I like that. It's you know that's, that's yeah, it's much needed for sure. Absolutely much needed because you know what it's done is is that it it has, you know, it has sort of put a stifle uh you know a a a big pillow over the voices of people who just quite frankly don't want to deal you know what i mean it's like you know if you can't have a conversation you know i mean it's well known you know that you can't literally have a conversation on facebook without it devolving into i mean there's there's even some meme going around like you know it's going to be four comments before it gets to hitler you know at some point you know hitler's going to enter the conversation it's like okay that's the tipping point right and so you can't have these conversations online anymore and so what so many people have done is just like disengaged you know, and so you have this really high level of disengagement because you just don't feel. You know, I count myself in that, right? I, in I've, so I've many that. ways, I've disengaged with politics and you know national issues in any sort of you know public forum because I, quite frankly, just don't have the stomach for it. I just don't have the. I you know, admittedly, don't have the stomach for it. No, you and I both. I mean, you remember. I mean, you and I were on the road while a lot of this stuff was going on politically, and I I took it very personally. I was it was I was, I was yeah. wrecked, yeah, and I was yeah. following the whole thing, and I was in, and then it was doing so much damage to my uh, mental facilities. I just couldn't take it anymore. Now yeah. I don't watch any, and you know this. I don't watch any news. I'm I'm hardly ever on Facebook. I never look at anything like that. I'll, I'll I read stories, I read marketing, but when it comes to anything in politics, I don't because I have some very close people to me that have different political ideologies, and they will come to up to me and say, "Did you see this? Did you right. see this? What did you see? So and so said this," and I can honestly say, "No, I didn't. I sorry, I'm not paying attention to that." And yeah. then I, that's it. <laughs> I don't right. have to get involved in that conversation because I don't want to have those conversations. With people I love, I just don't. Yeah, yeah. I just want to love them uh, for yeah, whatever they I believe. I feel you. 
I don't have to believe the same things that they do. Uh, no, exactly. That I don't yeah, have you to just get into and, a and it's your choice whether you're going to engage with them on yeah. that. You and know I, I mean? that's the that's the real key. And I have completely shut down when it when it comes to that. I am yeah. done. I talk with my my kids all the time about it now, who are who are way more into it. And I'm like, I'm sorry. You'll have to take you'll have to take this on without me. <laughs> I'm not I'm yeah. not gonna I'm not gonna travel that road anymore. So yeah, we'll see. It's exactly right. Yeah, life's too short. It absolutely is. Now, but before we get started, uh, yeah, what we I haven't talked to you. There's a lot of really really good content out there. Movies. What is there one that that you watched over the last three weeks that is like this was the greatest thing ever? Is there something you're watching right now? I can, okay, so uh, I'm gonna have another. <laughs> this, this is the show of unpopular opinions. <laughs> um, I'm I'm going to say two. One that I thought was really bad. That this is the unpopular opinion, and one that I really liked, but I don't think it's the best thing ever. So okay. the best thing ever was uh, the, or at least good, was the Boba Fett series, the new Boba Fett series, which I. You know, I mean, I'm down for anyway, but, yeah. but you know. You like it, it so was, far? I've, I've watched the what, first it's two really, episodes, not It's three. really geeky. Yeah. It's, uh, this is what I would say is is that the fan service that it does, the sort of truly subtle Easter eggs are, you know, there's so many. Um, so if you weren't a fan of the comics, this is all going to be very new to you. But if you were a fan of the comics um, and the movies and everything related to Star Wars, there's a it's rich. It, there's a lot there that 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 is that is for you. So there's that. Um, the I watched the uh, the movie that Don't Look Up movie. Yes, I'm maybe the only person on the planet who thought it was complete crap. I I I, I thought it was just awful. I just thought it was bad. It well, was, it was. It, you're not. It was only, neither. You're not the only was, person in the world. I like. I have seen a lot of people that you and I know and are friends with that have just loved it and raved about it. It yeah. was cringy. I, I. I had. Now I did watch the whole thing. But I did It was too. very yeah. difficult for me to get through that movie. Yeah, it was me too. It was. I didn't think it was fun. I didn't think it was funny. I didn't think it was particular poignant. I didn't think it was particularly pointed. I thought it was ham-fisted at best, uh, you know, and, and I just thought, you know, the the whole thing, uh, trying to make it funny by putting uh, Jonah Hill in there with his role and all that stuff. Now, I will say this, the last, the last 12 minutes or the last 15 minutes, I thought were the best of the... Well, yeah, because... That's the, the... Yeah, that was the human... Those are the human moments where... Right. That's right. I totally agree with that. Not that it we're is giving no, it is away no Doctor Strange love, right? It is, you know, and that's what it wants to be, right? It wants to be sort of a very cynical, very, uh, you know, sort of satir- satirical look at climate change and the way that we are reacting to it. And I just thought it was like it, it, it was. I don't, I don't know. I just didn't. I did not care for it at all. I, I totally got the. I didn't think it was as much climate change as what's what's going on. Well, I guess yes, climate change, or I related it a lot to what's going on with the vaccine, as well. Yeah, true as well. Uh, it's well, it's really everything. Yeah, it's, it's, it's everything. Change. It's like it's, people that believe in science and people that don't believe in science, kind of a thing, right? right? You know, so. I mean, the whole the whole thing at the end when they're and I'm not spoiling anything, folks, because it's the title of the movie, um, where it gets to the point where. They say basically you can see, you can literally see the comet, the, the asteroid or the comet that's coming to hit the Earth. And they go, all you need to do is look up and actually just look. You can see it coming. And basically then the people who are on the other side of that political issue say basically, oh, they want you to look up because you're afraid. Right. You know, they want you to be sheep and look up. You know, it's like, don't look up. It's like, oh, God, it's just I mean, I just went, oh, OK, I get it. I see what you're doing there. Right, it's <laughs> a lot of amazing actors in that movie, though. Oh, great! I mean, fantastic actors. I mean, the performances were fine. Yeah, performances were great. I mean, Meryl Streep is fun. Um, Jonah Hill is Jonah Hill. Um, DiCaprio is, you know, DiCaprio. I mean, you know, I'm, I mean, everybody's in it. I mean, there's so many people in it. It was, but I just was like, eh, meh. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on it. So the, the, I. I loved uh, the new Spider-Man movie. 
Oh, I haven't seen it. I haven't gotten. Oh, you're kidding me! Oh my god! Uh, Now I now my kid my kids thought it was the greatest movie that's ever been made. Wow! So I did not. It it was not. It's not my favorite Marvel movie of of all time, but it's it's definitely top five. Wow! Okay, I've I've heard the same thing. Enjoy it. A lot of fans. A lot of fan service. Oh my goodness! If you're a Spider Man fan, you're just gonna absolutely eat this up. So I would I would uh, recommend it, and then of course yeah. I don't. I, a lot of people did not like this, and you and I talked about this last time. But I did like the new Matrix reboot a lot. I thought it was fine. I you know I I I I, I thought it was fine. I I I I get it right. Yeah, you know, to me it felt a little bit like Lana was trying to basically rewrite the you know instead of the one, there's the two. You know, yes. it's like I, you yes. know, I mean. I, it felt a little bit like trying to rewrite the ending of the the last Matrix movie, um, and sort of like, "Ooh, I've got a new idea about how we should have ended that whole trilogy. Let's make another movie to sort of rewrite the ending." And that's what it felt like to me. But I, I liked it fine. I, I liked know, it. Fine. Here's here's why I liked the continuation of it, and because the one was never the one; it was always the two of them. Because right. he was dead in the first one until Trinity said, "Get up." And right. kissed him. I mean, and brought him yep. back to life. It was always those two. And I think we always looked at the one as being Neo, but the one where the two of them combined. That's what yeah. I took. And then this That's sort right. of brings us to fulfillment full circle Yes, in this movie. But I like Neil Patrick Harris's performance in it a lot. Oh, yeah. He's great. He was, I mean, he's always great. Because he was Neil great. Patrick Harris. It's fun. It's, you know, it's, I mean, look, it's, you know, it's an hour and a half of fun. Yes. It was, it was lots of fun. So, yeah. um, so do we have stories? Well, I guess we do should we get up. Yeah, this week we do. So on on this uh, on this week's show, we're going to talk a little bit about a few things. We're going to talk about how the New York Times and subscription models have really opened up 2022 with a bang, um, and boy, have they ever! Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about how LinkedIn, lots on LinkedIn, um, they're kind of going all in on journalism. And being a clubhouse competitor, um, you know, clubhouse being that uh, big failed thing. Oh, that, stop it. <laughs> that we'll talk about. And, you, um, can, do you wake up in the morning and you just slam clubhouse? I do. Do you, I do. Do you, I do. you talk to your I wife do. and you just say, that clubhouse? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's that's my life. You've just, you've just, and I do it in that tone of voice too. I go, rah, 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 uh, it's like a Dionysaur. Rawr. I, oh, God. I've been watching ah, too much TikTok. I hate too much TikTok. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll also talk about the tale of two creator economy entrepreneurs, one who sells products by the ass load, and the other is Logan Paul. So um, we'll, uh, we'll dissect that a little <laughs> Come bit. On. Uh, oh, jeez. <laughs> And of course, we'll have our rants and raves sections where we'll I'll bring back an article from 1996 that I'm just going to rave about. Uh, and Joe's going to rant and rave a little bit about the great resignation. And if we have time at the end there, talk a little bit about the name image likeness yes. stuff from the, the college sporting arenas. Absolutely. So, um, yes. yeah. Very good. All right. Well, let's jump right in. Let's do this. Because it's the new year and it's a new show and let's go. Um, we'll open up here with New York Times. And the New York Times is opening up the year with a big bang here. We're going to pair two stories together here. The first coming from CNBC, which uh, big news, um, actually, in the world of acquisitions. The New York Times is going to buy the sporting publication, The Athletic, for $550 million, 550 schmackaroos. Um, the, basically, the article opens up by saying the New York Times has struck a deal to acquire sports news subscription site The Athletic. Uh, the deal is valued around $550 million. Uh, it is expected to close within the first quarter of 2022. Um, and the market didn't love it because shares of the time were actually down slightly in after-hours trading. Um, it'll be an interesting thing, and I'm hearing two things uh, about this. One is that it's a great deal. The other is like, eh, I'm not sure about this so much. Uh, the New York Times company CEO, Meredith Copet-Levian, told investors on a call following the news that they would initially offer The Athletic as a separate subscription and ultimately offer it as part of a broader Times bundle. 
She said in a statement then the release that the vertical would give subscribers more extensive coverage of sports teams and leagues while the Times offers sports coverage for general interest audience. We're going to pair this, and then I would love to get your take on this acquisition, Mr. Polizzi, uh, with a story from The Information, which references uh, the whole idea of the New York Times acquisition of The Athletic, but basically has started to talk a little bit about how the subscription model is really what drives a good media valuation. In other words, they say media valuations are not there unless the subscription model is in play. Basically, it says even with advertising sales on the rise and digital media firms seeking other revenue streams like online commerce and film and TV and production and stuff like that, the information found uh, that valuations in many non-subscription focused companies in particular have been sinking while those with subscriptions have been rising. So taking those two things together, Mr. Polizzi, what say you about what's going on in the world of media as we jump into 2022? I, I would like to, to break open that valuation conversation a little bit because um, I do have some comments to what the information posted, but let's, I, I, I sure. ran some numbers yeah. here. I want to get your take on this. So yeah. the sale of The Athletic to The New York Times was $550 million. The Athletic has according to the article from CNBC, has 1.2 million subscribers, which is, by the way... 500 bucks a subscriber. 500 bucks. $458 a subscriber. That's a lot of... (laughs) Yeah. That is a lot uh, for just a (laughs) subscription business. So I'm trying to put two and two together. Makes sense, right? New York Times is really focused on what I would call luxury subscriptions. The Athletic is a luxury subscription. Um, and New York Times is as well. So if they feel they can, and it, so it looks like maybe that's the next step for New York Times. They're going to start packaging these together, buying more of these. You can get it all in the bundle, like you do with uh, you know ESPN Plus or Hulu Plus packages that they have now, or you can get it individually. Whatever, that's fine. But I think that where I see the opportunity, if you're going to build up, this is a hefty valuation for the subscription company. Either they feel that they can really significantly drive more subscriptions at a higher rate, or they feel they can drive more revenues from the athletic than just paid subscriptions. That's where I think the opportunity bing, is. Bing, 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 Exactly, bing. right? That's it. And that's where I think a lot of these articles lose. Because the New York Times, yes, did they evolve into a paid subscription company? Sure, I'm, I guess you could say that with their digital subscriptions. But you have to remember, New York Times is a really well-diversified media company they have events they have advertising and sponsorship they have premium content they have affiliate deals their wire cutter thing it's all that's a full affiliate site yeah so i I think a lot of people forget and they say oh new york times is paid subs so if the athletic is just for the most part paid subs which is fine if you take the new york times business model overlay it and say we are going to do the same thing with the athletic which is a lot by the way you're, you're making a lot of assumptions there. But if you do that, then this is a really good deal for both sides. Yep. But the question is, will they do it? Yeah, that's exactly. You, you, you basically pulled the, pulled the words right I out of my it. head. We I knew it. We were I, thinking yeah. the same. So, you know, hashtag somebody did the math. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and what I mean by that is, and this is the lesson, by the way, for us as marketers, as content creators, as content marketers, as basically communicators that are getting into this business, look what the New York Times did was they looked at their subscriber base and they did the math and they went the overlap. And I'm sure they, I'm, I'm sure somebody with a very large Excel spreadsheet looked at the athletic subscribers and said, there's not very many of these that are also New York Times subscribers. Um, and so there's a lot of net new people that we're getting into our little sphere of influence. And if you just look at it from monetizing them against how much they're paying for the athletic, doesn't work. I mean, the athletic has been losing $50 million every single year. And so from that business model, it's not very valuable. But if you bake the bet, and this New York Times has clearly made this bet, that you can monetize those audience members, those net new audience members to what will be the sphere of influence of the New York Times to new products, new events, new subscriptions, new newsletters, all the things that they'll have access to now that they can reach that audience 
Well, now that math starts to work a lot better. And somewhere along the lines, they discovered that it's worth more than $550 or $458 or whatever the number is per subscriber because they feel like they can monetize those audiences at a greater rate. That's right. And that's the math that we need to do as marketers, right? When you start looking at your email marketing database, when you start looking at your subscribers to your blog, it's not just how many of them will buy your classic product marketing and, and, and services. It is how many you can monetize against a multitude of different revenue and or savings streams. This is what we talk about in the book, right? Yep. That's what was so fascinating to me about this is that when you look at it on paper, you go, ah, you know, there, it's it, that seems like an overreach. But if you start to really break it down and start really valuing the access to that audience, you know, they could pull a, bu- just to your point, they could pull a BuzzFeed here and start putting, you know, classic fan-based events to, you know, football teams to baseball teams to the NBA to all those people that those people are huge fans of and start building events around that well now those are people who would much more likely pay for something like that than your general New York Times subscriber and therefore you can monetize it so I think it's a fabulous deal and I think New York Times was brilliant for doing it no I think to, to so you're absolutely dead on with marketers the same goes for content creators when you, when you have your first revenue thing, whatever that is, right, that could be paid subscriptions, that could be advertising sponsorship, it could be an affiliate deal, whatever, I think a lot of creators think, oh, that's the way that I create revenue. That's it, right. No, that's, all they got. that's your yeah. first way exactly. to create revenue exactly. because you and I, have, I guess we talk about this in Killing Marketing, I talk about it in Content Inc. It's the, the best content creators, the best content marketers have five, six, seven, eight different ways they drive revenue from their audience. And yeah. so I'm I'm right now, because I was typing and I was looking at the athletic site. As far as I can tell, the only thing that they do to drive revenue is a subscription, which I'll just throw this out here. If, when, when we were in the end of 2019 and the beginning of 2020, the media companies that really struggled were who? The ones that only had event revenue. Yep, the multi the the multi the the diversified diversified media companies had great years in twenty and twenty one, right? That's right. So you have to remember you cannot put all your eggs in one revenue basket, and um, kudos well, and to one, the New York maybe Times. Even kudos just, to the New York Times for looking at this and saying, "Wow, this is such an untapped resource here." Yeah. And, and I would only, I, I would yes and that to say it's the monetization basket, right? Because for product and service marketers that are building an audience, you know, the idea is when you make an acquisition like this or you make a, you know, a, a calculation like this on your, the audience value, it's look, you may look at it in the reverse way, right? You may say, hey, we're not monetizing this through revenue, but how many different monetizations through savings of marketing spend through first party data that you're getting through different ways to create efficiencies in the marketing spend that you're making multiple ways to create that through the acquisition of a sweet spot audience that's really valuable is the key there just look at it in the terms of say a hubspot acquiring the hustle right they didn't acquire the hustle for the money that people were spending to spend, you know, to to subscribe to the hustle, that was just a that was just basically a discount yeah. on how much they were actually going to have to spend if they keep that revenue model in case. They go, oh great, we know we'll make X amount of dollars. That'll be a discount against our acquisition costs. The multiple that they spend on that comes from the idea of, hey, this is a group of people that we can sell stuff to. And it's our sweet spot audience. And so it's the idea that you're actually getting direct reach and uh, the ability to give, you know, those people messaging. That's the discount, right? So it means a discount on how much I would have to spend on advertising to that crew, how much I would have to spend on SEO to pull in those people into my sphere of influence, the discount. And by the way, the multiple on maybe they discovered that the hustle Audiences typically going to buy bigger software packages. All of those things calculate into your ROI. So, yeah, good, good for the New York Times. Good, it's build an ecosystem, man. That's what yep. it's all about. Yep. And then on your on the other article by the information, I mean, 
the the best obviously if if you are a subscription model you get a premium because you have a direct customer connection that actually the customers pay you something directly for the content that has been in play for the last 20 plus years uh, since digital subscriptions became a thing. Second in play were always media and events. I mean, those were the two, like if you were going to start a media company and you wanted to get the most money for the earnings that you were going to create, you'd say, I want a paid subscription company or I would want an event company. But again, you got to remember, let's say that you're an event company first or a paid subscription company first. If you have all these other different revenue components that lifts up the event side or lifts up the paid, first of all, they all work together. They don't work individually. They really do work together. And of course. You, yeah, it, you, they add to that valuation. So when we sold Content Marketing Institute, of course, Content Marketing World was the big part of it. That was our big event. We made the most money off of that event. But we had 40% of our revenue in other things. That I didn't get a different valuation on that revenue. I got the same valuation on all of it. Yeah. So I think a lot of people forget that. And... You, you can be focused and you should be focused to a point. But to your, when you're talking about marketers and looking at this valuation, you have to look at all the different ways you're changing behavior and all the different ways that you're driving revenue. Because if you don't do that and you're not actively looking for it, you will get shut down. Because if you just yeah. look at one, it's not probably not going to be enough. No, make that's case. exactly right. And, and it's not going to look great, right? You know, you're going to look at it and go, uh, I don't see how that works, right? You know, if you were to just look at the athletics business model, you go, I don't see how that works over time because your costs are growing way faster than your ability to, you know, expand and or make a profit. And what, you know, thankfully, I think the, you know, I think the athletic realized, you know, I mean, let's be honest, the athletic has been trying to position themselves for sale for some time. Yeah. Um, and so what they've realized was, no, 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 the goal, the investment here that we're making by hiring all these very expensive, talented journalists and sinking all this money into a great experience and sinking all this money that basically isn't going to be covered by our subscription costs, it's to build an asset called an audience that is truly the gold standard when it comes to an audience that some big media company wants and they'll come in and buy yep. us. That's it. Yep. You know, so that's the calculus. It, it reminds me of a, I sat in a presentation by Red Bull. This is a couple of years ago. I'm not going to get the numbers right, but it was something yeah. like they, they said every week a Red Bull customer watches 30 to 45 minutes of, of their own videos. Yeah, and he and he's like, if you put that against and, and you put that against a number of like an advertising number or whatever, it's right, like you right. can't value it. It's almost priceless for yeah. that kind of engagement. So he's like, if we just look at the traditional valuation or the, the traditional metrics we've always used, I, I, I can't put a price on creating video. It's so valuable to us to have exactly. that kind of content experience. So just interesting. Exactly. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our second story here, which is all about LinkedIn. LinkedIn making some news of late. Um, we'll again pair two stories together here into this topic that we'll talk about here. The first uh, news item that comes up from earlier this month is that LinkedIn is going to add Clubhouse style audio events this month, meaning in January. LinkedIn has been working on a Clubhouse style live audio room feature since at least March. That would be March of last year. It's now set out to roll this product out as part of a new events platform. The plan is to let organizers host virtual roundtables, fireside chats, and other kinds of discussion as they see fit. Uh, hosts will also be able to moderate discussions while attendees will be able to speak with each other during events and afterward events will run on in-house tools that LinkedIn has built. At the outset, LinkedIn is hoping members of its thriving creator community, those who develop and share content on topics like career development, will host events. By the way, total side note here, for those of you content creators out there, and that includes content marketers at enterprise companies, if you haven't gone and changed your profile to add the content creator tag to your profile, do that. Do go out and it's worth doing. There's a couple of different meta tags that you get for that and all those kinds of things, but it definitely identifies you as a content creator. So go do that to your LinkedIn profile. Um, then 
Uh, we'll pair that uh, with another story, which I think is very much related to this, even though it's there's no distinctions or, or, or corollaries drawn here, um, from uh, businessinsider.com, which is Dan Roth, who is the editor-in-chief uh, of LinkedIn. Dan's a good guy. Is talking yeah. about how they are uh, basically ramping up all of their new journalists. LinkedIn is aggressively growing its newsroom, it says, by poaching journalists from publications like Bloomberg, Wall Street Journal, and CBS News. Uh, the Microsoft-owned social platform for professionals has steadily built up an editorial operation of journalists who curate news and encourage people to post on LinkedIn over the last 10 years. But that team grew significantly in 2021 at the end, ballooning from 75 staffers to 95 staffers and plans to grow by double-digit percentages this year, Dan Roth told Insider. So what say you, Mr. Pulitzi? This is a fascinating to me, this says LinkedIn is going all in on business content and wants to become a business publication and be treated as a business publication um, with both of these ideas, both in audio, podcasting, and uh, I mean, I totally have a take on that social audio thing, but what do you what do you think about this? Well, I, I, I think this is a long time coming. They've been working yeah, toward for this sure. for a while. Obviously, a lot of the initial stuff that Dan was overseeing, we're, we're testing. They had a s small group of 40. I mean, nothing wrong with that. I think they're moving to 95. Yep. Yep. They're going to grow from there. And and with this move, you're hedging your bets. I mean, if you look at LinkedIn and the huge audience they have, m a lot of people go there for news. Where do they get their news right now? They get their news from people on LinkedIn, user-generated content. And we talked about this with Facebook years ago, where we thought that Facebook was going to start buying media companies because they couldn't rely on just user-generated content to keep that engagement going. Well, LinkedIn, I think, believes that thesis, and they're saying, well, we've got to go that direction, so they're going to build out this whole journalism function, and I think that's the right move. And honestly, for how big LinkedIn is and how much revenue they have as part of the Microsoft franchise, if they will, th this is something they had to do, I believe. And they need yeah. to, and they need to cover the multiple areas. And I, I would probably say this is a not enough. I would see LinkedIn and Microsoft to actually start buying some of these niche media companies and fold them in to regular content. They could do it with licensed content, but at this point, I would start, I would start probably buying some of these brands. So, so that's that. I think that the other thing with the uh, clubhouse integration, if you will, do you even you probably have a tough time saying clubhouse. Uh, so I'm surprised you were able to, to get that I do out not. I do not have a tough time saying it. Social I, audio. I, I mean, I heard you. You almost choked on social audio. But anyways, <laughs> <laughs> um, if if you go to Twitter and you get on Twitter and you see Twitter spaces, um, Twitter. It, Twitter spaces is taking off. It is indeed. It is working really well. LinkedIn sees yeah. this. I mean, of course, they were both pushed uh, out there by Clubhouse, and now LinkedIn and um, Twitter are t are going to take the lead on this. LinkedIn for business communication, Twitter, a and LinkedIn's got to watch this because Twitter could eat their lunch in this regard for some of these no. business conversations that are happening. No, 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 no. LinkedIn. It, I mean, it, look, I love LinkedIn the fact that them. this was a, a sub Twitter. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure about that, but 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 the. Uh, what I do think that LinkedIn has a absolutely uh, uh, advantage here is that people go to LinkedIn for longer form content. People don't go to Twitter for long form content. They just don't. You know, the the random long you know Twitter thread um, aside, you know, people will engage. I mean, I don't know about you, but my inbox has been just dumped on. By the way, nobody needs another LinkedIn newsletter, folks. If you're thinking about a LinkedIn newsletter, you are too late. Um, don't, yeah, it, it is, it, it, I mean, I have gotten hundreds of invites to LinkedIn newsletters over the last two weeks. It's just, it's crazy the amount of people who are launching LinkedIn newsletters. And that will sort itself out for sure. The same thing is going to happen here, I think, they have a distinct advantage with the audio piece of this because if you're a business and especially a B2B manufacturing sort of very niche business and you want to start a podcast, 
right now that feels really weird, right? Starting a podcast that's, you know, maybe a couple of hundred people at most would ever subscribe to because, you know, you're talking about, you know, generators for jet engines or, you know, those kinds of things. Starting up a little podcast in a LinkedIn group for those, you know, 200 people who might attend on a, on a live weekly basis, fascinating, right? That's, you know, so business podcasting. And again, I said this, you know, I predicted this when they acquired SlideShare. I, I I I did it again when they acquired that uh, uh, that that uh, marketing automation company. I thought, ah, this is this is it. This is when they're going to become a B two B YouTube or a B two B streaming platform. And I think the opportunity is there for them to become a content plan. And they haven't done it, so they may yet fail me again. But I think this could be. You know, I've always said. You know, I mean, I I know I give Clubhouse a lot of crap. But social audio is a feature. It's not a. It's not an application. Um, and so, as a feature to what you can do on LinkedIn, I think this is brilliant. I would not be surprised if LinkedIn bought Twitter. Microsoft bought Twitter. Twitter's Twitter, by the way, is on the block. Oh, for sure, they're on the block. Yeah. Absolutely. So who's going to buy the block? It? Microsoft would make I as think- much as much sense as anything else. I think it's going to, honestly, I, my, I think I predicted this in our prediction show. I can't remember. I'd have to go back and look at my notes. But I believe I said, uh, if anybody, it would be one of the fintech companies. And maybe it would even be Square. It, Jack Dorsey would basically eat his own breakfast. I could see one of the fintech companies turning Twitter into a, a transactional PayPal-like uh, platform. Where identity is important, and by the way, the new CEO there—that's that's—they've got to figure that out, right? They got to—they have to—they've got to figure out how to get the nonsense off of Twitter and turn it into something useful. Um, so turning it into a, you know, a transactional platform, and so and social network would be would be really interesting. They, I, have you seen some of the people who put in the the tip thing? You know, where you can tip Twitter. I've heard about. Uh, no, I have not. Tweeting? I've I've yeah. seen it, but I haven't done anything with it. I've just seen it. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if Twitter, I mean, for breaking news and getting your, the people that you follow, your, their immediate thoughts. I mean, there's nothing better on the planet than Twitter. We all know this. Agreed. They don't Agreed. have to be. They don't have to be more than that. They really don't. They, I, in if, my opinion. If I think they I, I agree. I think they have to build up the quality. Right. Because right now it is such a distrusted platform. Um, you know, and, and, and with exceptions, right? Because there are people who have shaped their feed and shaped their following to, to really, you know, like me, I, I, I really like Twitter. I mean, I, my, my following and my, and those that I follow are, you know, I get a lot of value out of it, but that's, what um, the, I, but, but I don't, the, the, you talk about distrusted, pla- I mean, Facebook, same way, Twitter's, I mean, oh, they, they, I don't disagree but, with but that, they, yeah, but yeah, the, yeah, yeah. it's not the platform, it's the people you follow, so if, the, Agreed. It, once you, but once LinkedIn you have is different people, even from that, right, because well, LinkedIn has identity built into it. That's, that is true, that is true, and I think that's what you're, you're seeing that added to Twitter as people are adding their own profile pics, and they're, they're getting their blue check marks, and whatever the case is, yep. it's happening, Yep. it's yep. just at a snail's pace, so, right, we will, we will see. Uh, I think the a Twitter Twitter acquisition happens by September. Agreed. D- I agree. It's just not going to be Microsoft, I don't think. I don't know. They got more money than God. They do have a lot. Of that. that is true. I mean, they literally. Do have a lot I mean, here's the thing too. They have a lot of cash. You can make you, you don't have to make a perfect acquisition right now because the the cat we talked about this a million times. The cash yeah. sitting in their coffers is doing nothing but losing them money because oh, of sure. inflation. Yeah. They need Absolutely. to put it to work. And, and the stock price is at a where it's a huge discount right now. Yeah. yeah oh my is, God. Yeah. It's half. It it's is, on. It's half price. The same thing. Yeah. I mean, you and I listened to the Prof G uh, Scott Galloway podcast. He thinks the Peloton will be purchased simply because it's twenty five percent of the value of what it was. Exactly. It's on sale. So seeing yeah. a lot of that going. So there you go. Yeah. Oh yeah. This year's going to be filled with acquisitions like that for sure. Um, all right, last uh, set of stories here before we get to our rants and raves here. And this one, there's some, oh, uh, this one's, there's some, there's some, <laughs> there's some comedy built into this here. Uh, 
content creators um, doing some interesting things uh, as we get into the beginning of 2022. Uh, the first one will, again, pair two stories together with this discussion because it really Oh, my God. Uh, uh, my wife would love this story. Um, she loves a good poop joke. Um, <laughs> she really does. She really, really does. So this uh, headline here is a reality star who says she made $200,000 from selling her farts really, I really just said that, in mason jars, uh, is pivoting to selling them as NFTs. Uh, Stephanie Motto, the model in question here, uh, is made headlines around the world over the holidays when she announced that she'd have to retire from selling her farts in jars after she was hospitalized while trying to keep up with the skyrocketing demand. That is not an Onion headline. That is an actual thing that happened. The former star of TLC's 90 Day Fiance said she made around 200 grand from selling her bottled farts to her fans, but doctors advised her that excessive wind breaking was taking a toll on her body. My inner 14-year-old is coming out, and that is just funny. That is good comedy right there. Uh, <laughs> Then we're going to spare that with another launch coming from uh, content creators and sort of social media superstars and, and musicians. Logan Paul partners with former foe KSI to launch beverage company Prime Hydration. Uh, this article, which many uh, of the sort of more niche publications in this space are covering, says Logan Paul continues to continue to make his uh, mark in the sporting world as he joins forces with former foe and fellow YouTuber KSI to launch a new sports drink, Prime Hydration. During a live uh, stream on Instagram, the two popular YouTubers announced their latest collaborative ventures, Prime Hydration, with the duo to aim and rival some of the biggest companies on earth uh pepsi coke gatorade powerade etc uh what say you about these well let's two... let, let's let's uh, talk yeah. about the, uh, yeah. the logan yeah. the logan paul thing first. okay oh sure okay. it's and this i have a comment about the other yeah, one but this yeah, is you go this ahead. is yeah. just yeah this is just um it's important to talk about this as silly as some of the things that the pauls get themselves into is the fact that you're seeing more content creators uh, influencers out there selling products and services. And this is very akin to Mr. Beast starting his burger chain and making a success out of that. Um, you're going to see more and more of this. And I just, I like the idea where we're seeing media companies. And I mean, the, the Paul, Paul's have a, a media company. They're an influencer being able to not just make money off of, like media type money, like sponsorships and influencer deals and those types of things are actually able to make money off of products. So I like this. And of course you could, you could think it's all funny and hilarious. And you know, those two, the two uh, stars that are creating this thing or, you know, beat the crap out of each other in two fights, but whatever. Good, good for, <laughs> good for them. They could they could have a third fight and then they could take some of their power drink that they're creating and, and make more money from it. Well, that's the recipe, isn't it? It, that's the recipe, right? You sort of, you, you, you find someone, you know, this is what struck me about this whole thing was you find someone that you can, you know, you, you, be, you become the villain or the hero, right? By, by, by getting into a big public fight with somebody and they actually really did fight. Um, and uh, well, or maybe they really fought. Maybe, um, yes. And yeah, I, you know, I mean, here we go with the conspiracy theory part of this, right? Which is, uh, this could have all been very, very well orchestrated, right? The whole, you know, lead up to, and you know, in the trash talking and basically taking advantage of each other's fan base, um, getting into the ring, having a quote unquote fight, and then maybe coming back and saying, you know, literally, and I'm quoting here, we're humbled by the process of creating a real brand, yeah. you know? So the two of them working together side by side, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm hearing, you know, Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson, you know, Ebony and Ivory coming together, right? you know, in a big kumbaya moment where they're all now launching this powered sports drink to the world and it's all going to be unicorns and rainbows and all of that kind of thing. And so brilliant marketing, if it's true, um, and just brilliant, you know, uh, I think a really interesting way of, of, of looking at productization, you know, media, yep. media, you know, people productizing their, their a audiences. Absolutely right. Yeah, I, I think that uh, it, the whole thing is, is brilliant. It actually, from what you just said, like, is who's the villain, who's not? It reminded me of the movie Chef with John Favreau, 
where you had at the end you had the food critic reviewer came together with the chef that fought through the whole thing and they created right. a successful restaurant from it. I remember, he yeah. said, "Lines out the doors. It could be a great story. This is a great story." Yeah. They took this story yeah. and they're monetizing it. So good, good for yes. them. I have no yes. idea what to make from. From I'm gonna say this. The, I'm gonna say yeah. this about the about the, the 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 woman who who farts into jars. Um, first of all, I went and did some of the math um, and and looked at uh, the actual NFTs that she's making. Um, clearly, she's partnered with somebody, somebody who can help her do and this the art. Oh, the artwork, yeah, and, and all that. The artwork is totally meh. Yeah. Um, and here's the thing. Uh, again, a huge missed opportunity um, to make these things into something like a never-ending ticket or those kinds of things to extend her, I'm just going to say, <laughs> I was going to say brand, but then, of course, Austin Powers, liking the smell of my own brand. Uh, it just, uh, anyway, there's so, <laughs> many, there's so many things here that I would, that just make me giggle. Um, but, the thing, the missed opportunity here is, is that if you go look at the NFT, you know, like the roadmap, right? The basically under the roadmap of the NFTs is basically this: there isn't one. Go look and see what you get. Which what and what you get is if you buy one of these things um, for, I think it's about one hundred and eighty bucks or one hundred and seventy-five yeah. bucks right now with the price of ether. Um, you know, you're 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 seeing that you basically get the artwork, and then you get some time with her. Uh, to learn about her amazing things, and that's kind of it. Yeah, it's um, access. And and, yeah. and so basically, once that's spent, it's done. So, you know, if you do the math, if she sells all five thousand of them, I think she was going to do for a hundred and eighty bucks. You know, you can do the math there and see that, eh, it's about the same level of revenue now. You go okay. If she makes two hundred thousand by actually doing the farts and jars, and then another two hundred thousand from selling NFTs, almost half a million bucks from this idea—that's pretty darn good, actually, in the scheme of things. As an idea of an ongoing business, it's kind of well. That's the silly and, that's the thing, and there's nothing wrong with the cash grab. I mean, for creators, you want to try no. it, but the thing is, you get one shot at it, and once you do it, you're done. Wouldn't it be better? If whatever the premise would have been and whatever the mission and the roadmap would have been for this to be some kind of a long term fan engagement, exactly. like uh, I'll give you a really good example. I mean, we've talked about it on the show. If you look at Crypto Dads, uh, they've had a, they have a great roadmap uh, of how once if once you have an one of their NFTs, you get access to a lot of um, real life events. Online tournaments. Um, there you have a ton of merchandise opportunities. You get discounts. Uh, there's they're going to have a big event later, so you get access to a lot of things. It doesn't end. This is not a thing where oh yeah you get it and then by the end of 2022 we don't know what we're doing. No, there's an ongoing roadmap. Right. And so if you're a creator and you're doing an NFT program, you really need to know there is a long term plan. People want to know how is this value going to increase because they own it. So you don't just want that's right. if it's just and, for a stupid picture and, and we're going to make fun about this, fine. You could spend 100 bucks on it, but come on. We can do better. Right. Right. So That's it. And that's the that's to me is the, you know, and I promise this will be the last thing we do on this, but but basically I think why these two stories pair so well together. <laughs> Oh my God. I can't believe you just, just said that. I know. It's like, I can't even. Anyway, why why they pair so well together is because in one case, you're talking about a long-term strategy to use an audience and monetize an audience over time and build in a product strategy, right? Now, we'll see if they can execute against that. Those two guys can execute against that. But you can see the strategy, right? You can see a business strategy here. With this, the you know sort of the the Stephanie motto is basically it looks like a cash grab, it feels like a cash grab, and the valuation that I've seen, by the way, her initial price of you know uh, of 184 bucks or whatever it was, 0.05 ETH, um, was actually down. If I went on OpenSea and look at the ones that are for sale right now, they're actually getting offers for less than that. So. She's actually created already a discount by not putting any effort into a long-term strategy for doing this. 
and just even, you know, because now she can't do this again. That's the thing. Once, once you do this the first time and it's a cash grab, you're kind of done at that point. You can't now go, oh, now I want to do something that's a never-ending ticket and do a kind of Well, like, she, nah, she, could, she could create a roadmap. I mean, that, that would be the thing. You create a roadmap for it. There, there have been some right. NFT programs that have come back from the dead because they said, oh, this okay, is what it point. means. Yeah, that's a this good is point. what it is that's now. That's a good point. So, yeah, that's so a good it's point. possible. So let's let's hope that that's the case. And, but I, I mean, you're working with pictures of fart jars. I mean, how far yeah. can we go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you could go. Uh, yeah. Oh, so many jokes. Yeah. So many so jokes. Far. All right, folks. We'll get. We'll end it there with uh, uh, you know talk about our rants and raves where Joe and I go off in a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like we farted in a jar or something that makes us feel like. Uh, we can't because we have some medical condition that oh, uh, I just have to stop. Yeah. Just stop. Yeah. Just stop. Anyway, you want to go yeah, first? Yeah, I've or just got two, go two comments. Um, the one is again, it's it's so funny. My wife and I watched sixty minutes. We've not, we haven't watched sixty minutes in years. Uh, maybe it's just because we're getting old. But it was on after the football game last week, so we watched yeah. sixty minutes. It was on. They did have a really good piece on the Great Resignation. I'll put it in the show notes. But if you go to sixty minutes, you can. It's free. The whole video's there in the transcript. The interesting piece of statistics that I really liked was Karen Kimbrough, which is LinkedIn's chief economist. Which I didn't even know LinkedIn had a chief economist, but. She said that before the pandemic, one in 67 jobs in the U.S. were remote. And today it's one in seven. Wow. So that's fascinating, right? That may not change for a while. So this is it's, it's interesting to see how much our, uh, our society has changed because of this. And the other thing I just wanted to mention, because I think we're going to be talking about it on this show quite a bit, but I know I sent this over to you, and I think everybody needs to know about this. But last week, um, former Super Bowl quarterback Charlie Batch went out on Twitter and offered Oklahoma quarterback Caleb Williams $1 million to transfer to Eastern Michigan from Oklahoma. And basically, the way this works is Batch works with uh, a company called Game Above Capital, and they would be the sponsoring company of Caleb Williams. And the reason why this is possible, and we've talked about it on this show, the NIL rules that the NCAA passed, and name image likeness rules that basically says the college athletes are now allowed to sell their name or image to companies. And I really think that 2022, Robert, is going to be nuts, crazy, Johnny Be Good, the movie times a thousand uh, coming our way. That's awesome. So I yeah. just, I mean, just. It was one tweet to one quarterback for $1 million. And wow. I can't imagine how nuts this is going to get. Uh, it really is. You, yeah. you remember, you remember the movie year, Johnny B. Good, year. right? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Where basically yeah. it was all this bribery and stuff, and they, were, they wanted to yeah, get to go to all the different colleges. But you had to do yeah. it. They were trying to hide it. But this is out yeah. in public. Oh, yeah. Which is crazy. Bribery, it's, like legal bribery. It's going to get nuts. It's going to get nuts. And, you know, I mean, I'm especially conscious of it because of, uh, you know, especially here in Southern California, the, the new coach here at USC. And, you know, you've got you've got people transferring over um, to USC. And it's just going to get it's going to get crazy here in Hollywood. And, and, and yeah. I guess this is I mean, I've, I've got, uh, you know, college age kids and th- any activity? Oh, they're gonna get they're gonna get this. Too, Any right? activity? I mean, they're gonna get this. Esports too. is probably you know a big thing. You've got a lot of different things going on right now that can affect a lot of different people, and I don't think we've understood the magnitude of this rule change. This is huge. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. What do you got? Yeah, uh, I got this. Um, so over the holidays, uh, uh, one of the friend and family of the show for sure, Jake Sanders. Hey, Jake, uh, out there tweeted at me and basically asked and and sent me a link to an article that I had read, you know, several times, but he reminded me of it. And basically, you know, he asked in the tweet if he, if I would talk a little bit about it, but then after reading it, I'm like, oh my God, there's such a, you know, it's such a great, wonderful piece of, you know, a history um, for us and is so appropriate right now. 
um, you know, we've talked a little bit on the show. So first of all, thank you, Jake, for sending this over via Twitter. It was just, it was just so, it was just, you know, like chef's kiss, sort of perfect timing um, for my thinking and, and, and all of that. So I, I appreciate that. But then um, the article is from Harvard Business Review and it's from 1996. And we've talked, you and I have talked on the show about how we feel so overwhelmed right now and mm-hmm. how, you know, we feel like it's the beginning of the web. And, and I was telling, I was on a podcast uh, the other day and I was telling the host of the podcast, that's like, you know, in 2008, 2009, at the beginning of uh, social media, you know, we were really kind of freaked out about, you know, so many things about the economy and things were, you know, so all of that stuff sort of really put a, you know, put a muffler, if you will, on the sort of excitement and overwhelm we all felt about social media. It was sort of like, you know, ah, we just got to survive, right? But in 1996, this new web thing, this to me is more applicable, I guess is the right word, you know, in terms of how I felt, in terms of being overwhelmed and excited and the opportunities of web three and how it relates to how we felt in, in the beginning of web one. And this article that Jake had sent over is called The Future of Interactive Marketing, um, which seems a little weird these days, but it was basically talking about what the internet was going to bring to marketing. And it's basically a roundup post, if you will, from Martin Sorrell, Eric Salama, Reed Hunt, you know, many of these, George Day, many of these people who, quite frankly, were really big then and maybe not so much today, but, but certainly... The whole article is basically their takes, you know, and these are heads of, you know, huge agencies, you know, huge brands um, at the time talking about how the web was going to change marketing. Mm-hmm. And quite literally, you can go through this article and if you did a search and replace of web to web 3.0 or internet to web 3.0 and uh, all of those kinds of things, it reads it, it 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 reads like wow this it's exactly the same you know the exactly the same place right you know so Martin Levin right who at the time was uh, head of advertising they called it then sponsored programming at Microsoft <laughs> and remember the Microsoft network oh yeah sure yeah yeah back in the day uh, basically his advice you know coming from this article. Except the fact that you will have a website, every company will, from the local dry cleaner to the largest bank in the nation, but don't assume that this website is going to be one of your key marketing venues. So what kind of website am I talking about when I say that every company will have one? A website that will have content and replace your customer service 1-800 service line and greatly expand on the kind of information now commonly provided there. In other words, a website built to handle interactive communication initiated by the consumer. If you sort of just change that around to web 3.0 and content created by the consumer and content that the consumer can own. It's like, there are such great learnings here and helping us understand the patterns of what web 3.0 might go through from just understanding where people's heads were at in 1996. Some of the thought leaders out there and where their heads were at in 1996. Some of it is vastly wrong. And you can go, aha, that's where they were really wrong thinking. Some of it is right on the money and just overall just an incredibly useful review of where we were historically to give us a sense of perspective of where we are today and how early we really are. So I just love this and I thought it was a it was a great learning lesson. I love, yeah. I, I you you have to know where you've been to know where you're going. Yep. Absolutely. absolutely. And we don't we don't do that enough about looking at the history of this. So pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Perfect. Well, what do you got? So here we are, New Year. It's uh, what do you got? What's, what do I? Get? What the hell's going on in your world? You know? I got, you're planning for a big event. Now you're in event business I'm again. I'm in the event business again. Yeah. So and by the way, yeah. Anybody? Uh, early bird ends next week. So <laughs> anybody? Anybody Any, wants to Bueller, go? Uh, Bueller. Yeah, Bueller. we're limiting it to only 500 people. So um, it'll be at the Arizona Grand Resort in Phoenix, May 2nd to 4th, Creator Economy Expo. We'd love CEX.events. We'd love to see everyone there. Uh, yeah, and I'm working on that. Uh, we just, uh, <laughs> it's so funny. We just landed HubSpot as our big sponsor for it. So it's sort of a coming Woo-hoo. together because you know that. HubSpot and I weren't weren't always on the greatest terms back in the day, and now we've come together and joined. 
it's it's yeah. so wonderful. well they were trying to make fetch happen and you were basically saying fetch is not going to happen so uh <laughs> stop trying to make fetch happen. i i think that they i think they won that battle though on overall with yeah. the with the whatever it is yeah, 30 well, billion dollars from the valuation the 30 billion valuation dollar valuation or whatever yeah. i think yeah. they won yeah so i'm just going yeah. to, to yeah, let they're them doing win. fine so yeah they're doing just i'm working fine. on selling sponsorships all that all that kind of good stuff and and uh probably working more than i want to but i was in florida last week and we had a great time with the family doing oh doing lovely so lovely before we're back in the 15 degree weather in cleveland ohio so what's yeah. your weather like in los angeles uh, well the lovely weather here is 72 yeah. degrees and beautiful and sunny and it's the it's the time of year that i love here in southern california and so we're enjoying that um, i'm busy with client work which is love that it's been beautiful way to start the year to be busy with um some good client work and some new things that i'm working on new content new ideas which i'll be ready to share here not too long from now um and my cowboys are in yeah, the playoffs so you know, very happy for by you. the time yeah i'll be by the time for this them. uh thank you very much by the time we meet again next week uh i'll either be really happy that we're going to continue playing or be really sad that they were one and out so i i that's that's my docket for the weekend basically i'll tell you what when the cowboys are on all cylinders they can beat any team in football right now i agree let's hope they are that's the question that's that they light all those cylinders that's always the question yeah yeah. well my browns we lost all our cylinders this year so (laughs) what are you gonna do cylinder cylinder less you got it yeah all right ladies and gentlemen well that means we're off uh, we are going to uh, just encourage you as much as possible. We, you know, give us some new reviews for the new year. We we'd love those, of course. Subscribe, tell your friends to subscribe, all that stuff, and of course the podcast show notes uh, or any of our other 305 episodes. You can get that at thisoldmarketing.site. Go to our lovely little website for that. And remember, questions. We want your questions. We want your story ideas. Hashtag us up at this old marketing on the Twitter. Uh, And until we meet again, well, we'll see you next week. And remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you soon on This Old Marketing.